0: Avalanche Dev. Welcome, everyone, to the Launchpad here in Puckberg, a podcast for the daring do-bad and good Pucktails on the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kyle Sullivan, a.k.a. Shaggy Von Doom, with another episode of Pucktails. Woo-hoo! And the you-know-who on the other end of the woo-hoo is none other than Dan Green of probably one of the best-named podcasts out there, Flyer and Ice Podcast. How's it going, my friend, Dan?
1: It is going great. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, it's an absolute honor, and I think if I'm not mistaken, you might be our first flyer representative. Last right, week, good. last week we had our first Kraken representative, and now we will have a flyer. Which, um, it's no secret to anyone. I'm a, I'm a Colorado Avalanche fan, so there's a little bit of bleed over with you guys getting to have
1: Forsberg for a little bit. So, well, how did you get Forsberg to begin with? Is it the, yeah, yeah. Is but, even a bigger. Issue. I, oh, and you see, that, that later if you'd like. Oh, yes.
0: I would love to dive <laughs> into that. Um, that's a that's a sore spot and a great story all at the same time. And towards the end, I would like to we'll, we'll touch on that at the end. So, you know what, Dan, why don't you tell everybody who's stopping by here in Puckburg? Um, first, where are you from in this crazy world and how
1: in the world did you get into the game of hockey? Well, I'm uh, from the Philadelphia area, uh, Bucks County, uh, suburb of Philadelphia it's called Southampton. Um, I'm. I wish you all could see me. I look good for my age. I'm 53, <laughs> and I was, you know, born in '68. Flyers won the cup in '73, '74, '74, '75, and honestly, it was it wasn't until '75, '76 when the light bulb went off and I started following the flyers and started memorizing every player on every team, their uniform, their skating style, it just it just clicked. And that was the year they're going for the hat trick in 76 or the three-peat in today's terms. And I was hooked ever since. And you got to remember, um, for me, it was with the glory years of hockey, where you had um, obviously talent, but you had fights galore. Mm-hmm. And I guess when you're An impressionable eight nine-year-old kid and there's fights three four five times a game um do you do you become a hockey fan or a fight fan yeah well i became both and it just the flyers always had their reputation as a tough hard-nosed team and it literally it, it up until i call it the trade of wayne simmons is when it all officially ended yeah you know what? That's that's you know, and honestly, you
0: don't really think about that in that context. But yeah, that's about the end of the physicality
1: with the Flyers. Was that Wayne Simmons' move? Correct. They they are very soft. They acquired a couple guys recently. Um, they just acquired Zach McEwen today from he was released by Vancouver. He's a tough guy. Um, I don't know if he's going to be a uh, fourth liner for grit. They picked up a guy. I'm drawing a blank. Um, Patrick Brown mm-hmm. from, from Vegas who, who, who released him as well. Thought he'd go through waivers. Flyers claimed him. He's a six foot one, 200 pound guy with grit. So maybe that's how they're going to do it. Um, but yeah, we, we were having guys like Oscar Lindblom and Joel Faraby, um fighting for themselves last year. And, and especially Oscar Lindblom, after what he went through, yeah. you, you can't have him ever drop the gloves. It was, it, it, it's, it's disgraceful actually. And it's, as an old school guy and my, my nickname is Dan old school green. It's um, it kills me how the flyers play hockey now. And even, even to some extent, the national hockey league, you have your Tom Wilson's and of course your Matt Martins um, Reeves, of course, but the game's not what it used to be. Um, I appreciate it for the skill, but I will always miss the, um, the occasional brawls. And see,
0: and um, I live in, right outside of Birmingham, Alabama. Mm. And um, I grew up on minor league hockey. Yes. Like I used to watch the games, of course, that were broadcast on ESPN, ABC, Fox, but we had the Birmingham Bulls. And like in the 70s and 80s, they were known for their physical play. Um, And it's still prevalent today with their new, the new incarnation of the Birmingham Bulls that play for the SPHL. Um, physical play is how you get noticed. Um, the physical play that you grew up with is how you protected what you had and it was an extra wrinkle in your game. Um, it was not too long ago, I remember Rob Zombie, the, the legendary musician, talking about how he was fascinated with that Broad Street Bullies era of the Flyers. And it's, it was something that resonated with people with that physicality and i don't know what shifted but yeah the flyers were that last physical team like now you have vegas and of course washington and new york's trying and
1: this new physical but it's one physical guy yeah well and 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 other than really reeves every physical guy has a great deal of skill yes um you cannot have i mean he Reeves is literally the last of the goons. And mm-hmm. I hate to use that word. Um, let, let, let's call it enforcer. Um, top skilled def- uh, protector, as it were. But yeah, it's it's definitely a new breed of hockey. Um, and, I, you know, I love hockey, so I will continue watching it. But it's just different. You know, I have to watch occasional YouTube videos of Rick Tockett, my favorite of all time, Ben Wilson. Mm. Um, and and listen, I even watch one of your top guys, Scott Parker, now and then. Oh yeah, to get my my fix. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I think our last notable enforcer
0: for the Avalanche was Cody McLeod, and when uh, Bed like that was his sole purpose was he was the equalizer. And yeah. when Bednar took over after Patrick Wall left the team, um, Bednar wasn't having that, and you can easily see with. McLeod's minutes trickling down. Then he got traded to Nashville and there not much became Cody McLeod after that, because like you were mentioning, the era of enforcers are going away and uh, he kind of lost his place in the game after that. But yeah, the avalanche are, you mentioned Scott Parker, but I know our last one that we had was Cody McLeod and he would just go out there, drop the gloves and, I mean, the avalanche were bad at that point. So he had to go out there and try and fire him up however he could. And those days are long gone. We are now <laughs> Ferraris out there, highly skilled, highly tuned Ferraris of skill and speed. And we're not that physical play anymore. So I completely understand that. So t- tell me about growing up with the with the Flyers um, and with – physicality going out of the game what kept you with the Flyers and why did you pick the Flyers other than just at the right time with that cup run
1: going for that hat trick well like I guess it was my father my father um, just ingrained in me to the, the love of sports I played I played all sports throughout my life and I just uh, started you know I, I, I'm, I'm of the belief you live in a region. Your father grew up in a region. You have no excuse to root for another team. Yeah. So I'm a loyal four for four Philadelphia guy. Um, so, you know, when you start watching sports as a six, seven, eight year old, your dad puts on the Phillies, Flyers, Eagles and Sixers. You, that's you're going to root for. And it just so happened to be a glorious time to get involved in sports, the mid to late 70s into the 80s. And in fact, in 80, all four teams made it to the finals yeah. with only the Phillies winning a championship. So, I mean, the Flyers, getting back to them, it just so happened they were going for their third Stanley Cup. They were constantly – play- they literally made the playoffs up until the late 80s, early 90s when they got – that's when, when they got bad. Not That's when the, the whole Lindros, you know, big trade took place yeah. to shake up the organization. But for, you know, 15 straight years since I was watching hockey, they were always in the playoffs. Made it to the cup finals in 76, 79, 85, 87, 97, and then last in 2010. So they've had their opportunities, but they're in one hell of a drought right now.
0: Yeah. And and see, that's something that I get to miss out on, unfortunately, with because like here in Alabama, there's no pro team. So I've always loved like hearing people talk about that regional love like you feel like you belong like you can go out to the store and you see somebody else in your colors and you can kind of give that nod and, and that brotherhood like i'm a new york knicks fan i'm a tennessee titans fan atlanta braves fan and a colorado avalanche fan yeah And if you're keeping score at home there's not many titles in there
1: <laughs> but all neighboring states uh no yeah
0: yeah it's it's all over the place and there it's um it's one of those that you pick your fandom and you just ride i'm i don't there's no team jumping you ride your fandom but I do miss out on that regional that love for it and do you think that has a lot to do with like um that that like I mentioned like going out and having that fan brotherhood almost that you go out there and these are your people and you're all going in day in, day out, doing your day jobs, experiencing the interstates, but all in the, like team colors and you all feel like you're in this together supporting the team?
1: Oh, Absolutely. And, and I really equate it uh, to probably what you experience. My daughter is a senior at West Virginia University. And when we go to visit her, we, we went to a game two weeks ago when they played Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. I mean, the entire Morgantown area, everyone's wearing West Virginia garb. And I guarantee you where you're at, it's nonstop, you know, auburn or alabama tied garb mm. so you there's that loyalty to your college team so uh, you're not really too different but yeah when 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 things are going well you know like like when the, I, the, the year the eagles made the run in the super bowl every day for like two straight weeks our school theme was wearing eagles gear yeah um you go to the local we have a wawa it's like your local convenience store um yeah you, yeah. you get nodded at when you're wearing your garb and when you, especially when you go to visiting stadiums, I've seen games in DC. Um, I've seen games in Atlanta. Uh, when you see your, your, your fellow uh, Eagles fans wearing the garb, you're, you know, you're automatically best friends, you know? So yeah, you, you are correct with that. Yeah, but man. I would assume it's the same thing for, for all teams that travel like Steelers giants, those type of teams that, you know, it, that's what fandom's all about and, and like that's the aspect of fandom that i i think i miss
0: the most is like being able to like stand in like a mcdonald's line and they have a tv on and you can be like what are we going to do with carter hart and the guy behind you can pick up on the conversation yeah that, like, no doubt but so tell me um your fandom your coming off the heels of the, the cup runs and then you're going through the 80s and 90s, what kept you engaged in the game? Like, and was this like your first and foremost sport? Has it always been hockey?
1: Um, that, that's, you know, I've been asked that before and I really cannot answer that. I mean, I literally was diehard all four teams. Um, I mean, the, all four teams were literally great for a 10 a 10-year ten run i mean the phillies won their division from 76 77 78 they won a world series in 80 got back in 83 the sixers had many heartbreak losses they finally won in 83 we've obviously been talking about the the phillies i mean the flyers and the eagles are really the number one they're the, they're the big dog in the philadelphia area it, there's not even it's not there's not even a close second. So, I, I cover flyer and ice, but I'm a four for four guy. But I, I do love hockey more than any people I know in my inner circle, family, close friends, coworkers. Um, and, and that's the reason I'm the hockey guy for our network. There's just not a lot of passionate hockey guys like me on our network. So they said, start a show. And I did. So, but I've, I've just loved it. Uh, I love all the sports. And, um, and thankfully – for most of my life, the product's been pretty good. All right. So you're a
0: passionate Flyer fan. Do you have a standout moment of your, your Flyer fanhood
1: that you got to experience? Um, sort of. In seventy nine eighty, um, I was 11, 12 years old. And we, my buddies and I, we organized a neighborhood hockey team. Uh, we, we were called the Northwood flyers. That was our neighborhood. And we would challenge other, you know, neighborhoods to hockey games. And we all wore our favorite Jersey. I, I wore Reggie Leach's Jersey. Um, my, my buddy wore Brian prop. Another one were Clark Our goalie wore Perron. And it, it, it was seventy nine eighty that they had the 35 game on streak. I'm not sure if you're <laughs> aware of that. Yes. Um, And that was, you know, on our show, Flyer and Ice, sponsored by Heat Ratio Sports, um, we did a segment. We had this phenomenal segment at the end of our show called The Penalty Box, and it touches on anything hockey, yesteryear in particular. And the particular topic was our favorite year of hockey. Mine was a 79-80 year. You know, you're an impressionable 11, 12-year-old kid, and they're on a 35-game unbeaten streak, Still brawling, still great skill. And of course, the heartbreak of losing the cup to the Islanders with a very controversial call in that game that really, and Flyer still had the gumption to put the game into overtime despite that horrible call. And then they lost it in overtime. And let's face it, the Islanders were a dynasty um, brewing. But the 7980 team was my favorite team. My, I mean, it was just, it was so awesome. And then and then in, in high school, you had those two um, Toc at Zezel, Dave Pull and Tim Kerr teams, Mark Howell, Hextall, Lindbergh before Hextall in 85. And then you, he passed away, unfortunately. And then Hextall comes about in 87. So you had those two teams at, at, where a lot of people pick those as their favorite teams of all time. But gun to my head, I have to go to the 7980 team led by Pat Quinn, just a great, fun year of hockey. And
0: this is something that's always stood out to me, because like I said, I mentioned at the top of the show, um, I do have a love for the Flyers. um, And that has a lot to do with the Forsberg. And, um, but I've always respected the Flyers. And they're one of those weird teams that NHL broadcasts seem to handle in a weird way where they love to bring up the Islanders and the Canadians for their history. But for some reason, no one really likes to talk about flyers history, like on national broadcasts and like you, they don't get the love and that praise because they used to be an incredible dynasty and they used to be a really good franchise. And I just always wondered, why do you think that is? Is it because they are tied to that broad street
1: bully Oh, yeah. I mean, there's absolutely no doubt about it that um, the Flyers were the bane of uh, the uh, NHL's existence during their time until 76 when they were the only team that defeated the Russians when the Russians were making the tour. That's right. Then everyone became a Flyers fan. Clarence Campbell, the president of the NHL at the time, hated the Flyers, he hated what they stood for. Then he comes into the locker room to give them a pep talk <laughs> and Joe jo Watson, who's a, a legendary flyer defenseman. Who's still what's great about the flyers. And I'll get back to the story is they all stay in the area. Yeah. All the alumni are in the area. It, that's, that's that's, what, that's, what's amazing. You know, people could say what they want about Philadelphia and Philadelphia fans. A lot of it's a false narrative. A lot of the players in every sport stay in the area. So tell me how how false the narrative is if, if people stay. Yeah. But anyway, Joe Watson said they gave uh, Clarence Campbell the old go take a hike. Yeah. You know after his speech because he he was so um, verbally against them and made it no secret. But yeah, th- I think to answer your question, it's because people believe they made a mockery of the sport. But you know, few people realize before they really got the ball rolling the the big bad Bruins had a nickname and and they 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 fought a lot the reason the Flyers became the Flyers is because of the St. Louis Blues and in particular the Plager brothers who brutalized them in a playoff series and Ed Snyder's mantra was this will never happen again and then they drafted Bob Kelly Dave Schultz and Don Seleski I believe in the same draft and the um, Broad Street Bullies were born soon after that playoff series against the Blues and as a fan does that the trying to
0: disassociate that portion of history does that bother you like as a fan like especially with like at time of recording we're in the first week of espn getting the nhl back and they are they are sounding the drum of nostalgia any way they can and <laughs> i've yet to see anything
1: about the flyers well i mean listen uh the flyers will just like any, any team in any sport, they will get recognition when they start winning again, they had a great year. Um, surprisingly the year of the bubble, we started our flyer and ice podcast. Um, and just before the start of last season and we were coming off of that phenomenal, they, they, they were the hottest team in hockey when the pandemic happened and then we're like, Oh man, playoffs are probably going to be canceled this team had something going and then they started play in the bubble as you know and the flyers um went up against tampa bay boston and washington and swept them all to get the number one seating into the playoffs and i'm like holy crap they continued this hot streak i thought there'd be a, you know it, it would naturally have um you know dissipated because of the long layoff and then you know they had the dis- disappointing loss to the islanders but no one could have predicted the god-awful year they had last year yeah and there's a lot of skepticism to whether this team will bounce back was it a mulligan was it a fluke was it covid you know covid affects everyone differently um the flyers had a few problems with it last year and they had it bad when they played the uh, outdoor game against the bruins um but if they had a solid year last year off of the previous year, I think they would be one of the feature teams on ESPN. And and to your point, they I saw Messier and Chelios talking about the, the bad start that um, Tampa Bay had, mm-hmm. and they were bringing up that maybe someone like a Patrick Maroon needs to stir the pot to get them rolling. And then Steve Levy said, in today's hockey, that'll happen, and they're like, absolutely. And I understood why Levy asked that question, right? Because yeah. here we are. We were talking about how it's really not the same anymore. But, and the other thing with with the stirring the pot thing is you have to have someone on the other team that's willing to do it. Mm-hmm. And announcers and coaches always preach time, play, score. Why would you engage a potential instigator to get their team motivated when you have a lead in today's hockey?
0: Yeah, and you know and it's funny that you brought that up because um when the rangers acquired ryan reeves this offseason i don't remember one comment about his talent this was it was a this is a equal move to the tom wilson bullying that they've been subjected to correct and like everybody knew what this was and I don't know if we're getting a, a light dusting of that um, brawler versus brawler heavyweight battle. Like, you know, and it's – I mean, it's happened already. Um, like, these two teams do not like each other, and physical play happens. Like, the Colorado Avalanche and the Minnesota Wild, two teams that literally hate each other, that it's just – I mean – it's a common practice in preseason there will be fights right and it's becoming a little bit more rampant i know the nhl's tried pushing fighting out but this feels like fighting with a cause instead of just like where it turned into almost like a wwe product in like the early 2000s where it was like spotlights and like the nhl hits franchises like merchandising and commercializing fighting like, it's getting back to fighting with a purpose, and I feel like we might get a little bit of that in this upcoming season.
1: No, I, and and I you, you hit the nail on the head, brother. I mean, you cannot – I was so disappointed. And you're talking about a guy – again, I grew up with the Broad Street Bullies. I liked fighting when it was done out of anger, spontaneity. Mm-hmm. I mean, you saw – um video clips of George larock standing next to ivanov's and he goes you want to go all right good luck buddy like they, they're i don't like orchestrated fights i don't no. like guys t- now now there's one thing when you're you, when you were a young craig berube coming up in 1987 and i was at the game i cut school with my buddy and we was an afternoon game when berube played the D- detroit red wings and who was the big who was the tough guy on the red wings in 1987 1987. That would be Bra Probert. Correct. So it was at it was at the Spectrum, mm-hmm. and we knew Baruby was going to fight Probert, and he he actually bloodied Probert up pretty good. Baruby did get the best of Probert the two fights they've had. Maybe he probably went up to him because I got I, you know I got to establish the name for myself. Let's go. But it still feels different than the talking politely and wishing guys good luck at the face-off circle. Yeah. The rangers devils um line you know line brawl of five six years ago with prost and company it just didn't feel right yeah i i wanted i i don't know if you've ever seen the highlight where wendell clark buried marcal oh yeah and then rick tockett went right after him that was spontaneous that was mad that was not orchestrated that's what I want to see in hockey. Now, if Tom Wilson buries somebody, I have no problem with Reeves yeah. sticking up for his players. But them at the beginning of the game, talking at the face-off circle, let's go. That's orchestrated. I want it to happen organically in the flow of the game. That, to me, is true old-time hockey. And if that happens, I'll be pleased. But I don't like the orchestrated stuff. And see,
0: I honestly, this is just me galaxy-braining tinfoil hat theorizing on this. <laughs> Like, um, this almost feels like how Gretzky was set up. Um, this is like protecting an investment, especially with this flat cap. Like, it's not like you have your Broad Street Bullies or your Big Bad Bruins. You have your team and the guy you know you don't need to mess with. And they're out there to protect their investment. Like, this is like a McSorley 2.0 for every team.
1: I was um, Dave Semenko before that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And like, like Revo and Tom Wilson and you can say Nikita Zadorov in some aspects like he's that big physical goes goes out there and takes up for players but it's more of a taking up for and like you're not going to beat us this way it's it's going back to it's not goon
1: like i mentioned like the early 2000 fighting it's enforcing again well to to that point here's a, here's another great story uh, I'm trying to think who told me the story, but it went essentially like this. It was during Craig Bruby's time. And I believe it was, um, I'm trying to think which goon on the Rangers. It was, it might've been, um, Caulfield or, uh, not Cole Caulfield, but, um, I forgot his, I'm drawing a blank on his first name, but it was one of the goons on the Rangers was running like, like a chicken without his head. And Berube leaned over to Brian Leach and said, if he doesn't knock it off, I'm going to take it out on you. Then Leach leaned over to his bench and told the guy to knock it off. Yeah. And that's another way of enforcing without having to drop the gloves. Yeah. Because who knows? Berube might have had three fights in three straight games. His knuckles might have been sore. And he probably maybe didn't want to fight that night. But he got his message across, across regardless, right? Yeah.
0: And and I honestly I feel like we might see more of that coming up, and it's good. And like before, I I want to talk about like the currently uh, the current Flyers and where things are going. Sure, sure. But sure. before we get there, we are going to also talk this Lindros thing. But do you before we get there? Do you see the Flyers finding success in this new highly skilled style, or do you find them picking up an enforcer? and holding their own in division
1: well no I don't I, I don't see the true enforcer angle like I said they picked up Patrick Brown and today they picked up Zach McEwen um Kevin Hayes is is out for a while with injury when he's back someone's gonna have to go back down um Morgan Frost is a young stud in the waiting that we're waiting to make that next step like Faraby did last year mm-hmm. who, who started the year in a minor because they minors, because I wanted them to get significant playing time versus like a lesser role. So I don't, I don't see them having that, um, that Tom Wilson Garnet Hathaway kind of guy on their team. I think it's going to be, uh, they have Ristalina now. Don't forget about yes, that you're right, now, you're right. but I, I, I want to caution everyone. He's not a fighter. I, I joke around and say he fights like a basketball player, <laughs> but he's a, Unrelenting hitter. Mm-hmm. He will hit everyone and anything that moves. So that's a way of having enforcement to some extent. Also, you don't have to drop the gloves in today's NHL mm-hmm. to scare the crap out of your opponent. So that 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 adds grit, and, and and that stuff like that's contagious. So do I think the Flyers will truly have an answer to when to when they play the Rangers if Reeves gets a little crazy or? when Wilson does his typical nonsense? No, but I do also think no one's going to hit as consistently as and will. Yeah. He'll, he'll be burying defense uh, uh, wingers as they go into the corners. And that's kind of a way to get subtle revenge and 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 have some semblance of grit. And we'll get to some more points
0: on the current flyers and where they're going. But before we do, Lindros. Heard I may- a name that um not too, not too fond of over here. Um, as a Flyers fan, how is Lindros looked back upon?
1: I, I think I can, I can answer that. I think for the whole Delaware Valley, which is what we call the Philadelphia region. Um, at the time of the trade, we were all for it. Mm-hmm. We were praying with rosary beads that, the arbitrator Bartuzzi would it, rule in favor of the flyers. Cause if you recall the Rangers and the flyers made yes, simultaneous bids to some extent. And um, the Quebec Nordiques owner um, went with the Rangers bid after he consummated the deal with the flyers. So ultimately they ultimately the flyers got Linda at the expense of a ton of players, a ton of money, a ton of draft capital. But really, the, the gem was Peter Forsberg. Mm-hmm. I recall when Russ Farwell, the, the general manager who replaced Bobby Clark, drafted Farwell. I mean, drafted, excuse me, when Farwell drafted Forsberg, it was in the same draft as Lindros. Mm-hmm. Lindros, of course, was number one overall. And I think the Flyers had like the sixth pick and they picked Forsberg and nobody knew who he was. And at the time, they were thinking that was a, a, a draft reach. Well, this Forsberg kid did well in, in juniors in I guess the Swedish League and he became the chip that Colorado Colorado wanted. And yeah, crystal ball, you don't make the trade. yeah. at the time the trade was wanted. Lindros in his early years was an absolute beast. Mm-hmm. When he was on the ice, your jaw was wide open. I mean, I went to many games where my buddy's father was an, ex- was an executive and, he, and we, he hooked us up with tickets behind the glass. It was a, He was a man child on the ice. He was a missile. Um, but when you play like that, injuries tend to happen. Revenge by the other team tends to happen. Mm-hmm. I contend that if Lindros played in today's fight era, his skill would tra- transfer even better today, because he could, he wouldn't have to deal with Tony Twist coming after him, Marty McSorley coming after him, type of thing. But, but ultimately, I knew even before the world knew that when you're concussed as often as he was, Bobby Clark was wrong for wanting to rush him back. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would get a concussion, and 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 he would. I mean, he would be buried. I mean, he took a hit from Casparitis. He took a hit from Gill. We're talk- I'm talking way before the Scott Stevens hit, yeah. where he was um, out with concussions and rushed back. The kind of concussions where Crosby missed the year, Keith Primo ultimately retired, um, Chris Pronger ultimately retired. Lindros was um, forced to come back within weeks. Um, so. If they had known what they know today, they would have let him get the rest he deserved, and I think he would have been a more prolific player than he already was. Ultimately, he didn't reach his potential. He never scored um, 50 goals in a year. Um, He is a generational talent. Generational talents have to win multiple Stanley Cups. We got none. You could argue we didn't have strong goaltending in the 97 series, and nobody – Realized how great Detroit was. You of all people know how good Detroit was with the battles they had with Colorado in that era. So he was generational to some extent, but without the cups, you just can't get that moniker. I believe, I do believe Philadelphia fans appreciated his talent. I do believe they understand that his career and his greatness was cut short by many injuries many of which were, were self um, inflicted by the way he played and the contentious relationship between organiza- the organization and its parents who are his agents kind of try to, it, it kind of swung a lot of the fandom towards the flyers side. I always had a gut feeling that, yeah, I didn't like the, the spoiled brat syndrome that might've been developing. You can sense that he wasn't Mr. Popular in the locker room because of the drama. I don't think, we had Chris Terrian on. He addressed this pretty openly. We were actually shocked he revealed so much. He basically insinuated that if you had to choose between the Eric you wanted out of your lineup, it would be Lindros over Desjardins. Who? He said that on our show. He said they wish he didn't come back. The playoff run where he got Mm -hmm. knocked out for good by Stevens. Flyers were up 3-1, and Lindros came back. They wish he never came back because they had great team chemistry going and it, it, he just felt it ruined their mojo. So I don't, I didn't get this, the sense that he was beloved and I don't think it was because he was a bad dude. They flyers couldn't, the flyer player, according to Chris Tarran, couldn't stand the drama, the soap opera part of it. And I think that's ultimately what the fans remember the crazy soap opera, but do we remember the greatness of Eric Lindros? the freight train that was Eric Lindros, that vicious slap shot that was Eric Lindros, we sure do. But we also remember he played with his head down too much. Yeah. And, and he and he paid the effects at least three or four times.
0: And Lindros was really that first player, like, coming out of juniors that was, like, catching people's attention. Like, this is the big deal. This is a team changer. This is a game changer type player. Well, since
1: Lemieux. Since Lemieux yeah.
0: yeah. And it was like he was that – you draft him. He's going to change your organization. Yep. And I, I say to this day, if Lindros would have went to Quebec, there would be no Colorado Avalanche.
1: Right, because you got to remember, they also had a young Matt Sundin on that team. Yes, they did. And here, he, he, listen to this and tell me if I'm not crazy. I floated this out there. and No one said, no, you're wrong. But here's a theory I have. If you recall, Lindros was drafted in 91. Mm-hmm. The year prior, I remember watching this draft like yesterday. Now, you guys can Google it who are who, who are listening to this show. I believe the order was in 1990, Owen Nolan, Keith Primo, Peter Nedved. Flyers had the fourth overall pick. Bob McKenzie was saying, I don't think they're going to draft this great kid, Yager. They don't have any mentors on a team. The kid doesn't speak any English. I'm thinking they're going to draft Mike Ricci and I'm thinking no don't draft Mike Ricci I don't want a, a grinder a, a, an essentially a third line player with the fourth overall pick they went Mike Ricci Pittsburgh went Yager I contend if the Flyers had drafted Yager he wouldn't have been that amazing talent from the jump that he was with Pittsburgh where he could play under the the, the leadership of um, Lemieux and company he would have been a damn good player, mm-hmm. but he wouldn't have been the great Yammer Yager from jump. Could you imagine if the Flyer had drafted Yager followed by Forsberg the following year, who would have been packaged in that Lindrosh trade? Both Yager and Forsberg. Guarantee it.
0: And see, and, uh, and imagine
1: that insanity.
0: You And see, now you're breaking my heart because Yager is my f- absolute number one favorite player of all time. And, just the thought that he might have a an avalanche. Flyers
1: should have drafted him fourth overall? <laughs> and I guarantee you, he would have been part of the Forsberg pack, at uh, Forsberg package for Lindros. It would have been, it would have been, it would have been sick. It would have been sick to see uh, the Avalanche with those two players. And and what should did should have, I guess, huh? And what did it feel like when he uh, when Yager actually did make a stop in Philly? Oh, it was awesome. Um, he was a beloved teammate. He played with Giroux. Drew and Hartnell, Drew and Voracek, and he was he was a really good guy, and he was he was I think he was thirty nine. He was very talented, mm-hmm. still very he still he's still playing. He just turned fifty. He's playing in Europe.
0: Yeah, every time um, in the offseason, the NHL runs that article like here's Yama Yager. He's fifty three and still playing every year. I'm just like, please, Colorado, one year contract. That's all I want. <laughs> well, I just um, want yeah. I the just Flyers want.
1: made a mistake because um they they should have re-upped them for at least a couple more years. Because yeah, as we see with, with with Brady, certain players, Chelios I think played the he was 47. Mm-hmm. Certain players have that gene. So a 39-year-old Yager might equate to a 32-year-old somebody else. Mm-hmm. So I wish the Flyers had kept him for a few years instead of a, a one-year tease. And then he bounced around from team to team before going to Europe. Yeah, man. Yeah, what a good player.
0: Oh, and I would have had a Yamir Yager Avalanche jersey on the wall behind me. Oh, what could have been? But, yeah, um, yeah, I I was just curious because you were the first Flyers guest I've had on. Um, I have very mixed feelings about Lindros. Respected his game, just not everything off the ice. So I wanted to hear from a Flyers perspective of what you guys actually thought. And you guys actually ended up getting not just
1: Yager, stopping by you also got Forsberg towards the end as well yeah and if you look at if you look at Forsberg's numbers with the Flyers for games played it was over point a game but he <laughs> was suffering from the horrific foot problem if you yes. recall
0: yes and it kept him he, out of the Olympics as well
1: yeah that that was a sin of it all they they had a nice core but they he couldn't he couldn't he, he, he couldn't play with with comfort yeah. but ultimately the prize for Jager I mean, excuse me, for, yeah, the price for Forsberg, excuse me, was we ultimately sold his rights to Nashville, Mm -hmm. and that helped us parlay the package of Tiemann and Hartnell back to the Flyers. Yeah. So, you know, he helped us in that regard, because Hartnell and and Tiemann were um, fixtures for this team. And and I would argue Tiemann is a top three or four all-time defenseman for this Flyers team. Oh, absolutely,
0: thousand percent.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and we'll we'll segue here to the current Flyers. Um, I'll hit you with a hard question right off the front, but I would like to talk about the Flyers now and going forward. Sure, this is something I've. It's, I have a lot of friends, a lot of different teams. It's a question I ask, and I'll ask of you: Is the goalie for the Philly Flyers
1: on your team right now? Is the goalie of the future? You know what? I'm my, my show, Flyer Nice, and, and, and I'm not trying to do a, a nauseating plug. Oh no, please, but please! On my on my show, I'm I'm the host of the show, and I have three three guys that, that we never met before that we somehow connected in in a weird way, and now we're like really tight. I love those guys. I'm I'm the one that they know has the I'm not so sure feeling. Yeah. So my answer is. I'm not so sure. I just have to go with Al Morganti. He's a hockey um, guy. He wrote, wrote for the Enquirer. He's a legendary sports radio host. He worked for ESPN. First time around hockey, if you remember. So Al Morganti's a hockey guy. He thinks he'll come around. Chris Terrian referenced, he thinks he'll come around. Some of that we've had a couple scouts who watched, Carter, hard, hard play in juniors, knowing his work ethic and pedigree. They think he'll come around. My one of my co-hosts, Nick, the scout Tosti, who whose son plays college hockey, has watched USSA hockey for years and he loves the kid and thinks he'll come around. I just I just I just don't know. I I, I, I I'm not ready to write him off, but he's not going to get more than this year for me to really solidify my opinion. I mean, he had a horrible defense in front of him, just God awful structure, um, which I think destroyed his confidence. But you still have to occasionally make that save to bail out your team. Mm-hmm. And every single goal wasn't a two-on-one slam dunk goal. There were a sh- his share of very bad goals he let in, but also Brian Elliott, a veteran goalie. They both crapped a bet. I mean, I think Hart had an 877 save percentage. Yeah. You know, you could have a bad goals against because your team's playing bad, but you got to have a better save percentage than that. Mm-hmm. Right. So one of my questions on my show and one of our segments was, will Carter Hart have a 915 or better save percentage? My three panelists all said, yes. I said, no. They're like, do you think at least get over nine? I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. 905, 907. Yeah. But I, I, I can't give you an answer with confidence and, and the fact that you can sense that I'm wavering probably tells you that. Um, I don't know. I hope so, but I don't know. Okay. Now, I was curious because I kind of am
0: in your camp. I don't think that's where you guys need to go. I have serious
1: Bobrovsky vibes. So uh, back you're thinking. Yeah. I don't know. It's, 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 I will tell you this. Well, I, I don't know if I can tell you this, but I, I will tell you this. I kind of know that he was offered a monster contract, Carter Hart. Way bigger than the one he signed. And he turned it down. Mm. because I think he bet on himself. And he and because of his crappy year, his contract is not nearly as big. as. So I think the contract was also weighing on his mind and the fact that he turned it down and then he started playing poorly. Um, but he was- did still sign a significant Four million per year type of contract over four years, I believe. Um, yeah, that that that's a whole other mistake. The whole getting rid of Bobrovsky. We got rid of Bobrovsky because they signed Ilya Brzgalov to a nine-year contract that they thought they would be buried under before the league let you um, have two players that you could, you know, waive. Yeah. Um, salary cap free, and they got rid of Brzgalov and Briere, but they had already traded barbrowski yeah not knowing that that was going to happen and that killed me i and i will say as an avalanche fan i did enjoy bris
0: sound clips so
1: (laughs) well you you had referenced the year with um yager that's when bris was the goalie yeah and you recall the um outdoor game hbo feature yes yager didn't even want to like go near him while he was getting the eggs at the buffet he, and then and he sat like at a table by himself. He wouldn't join Brzezajlov. You could just tell he wasn't well liked in the locker room. Yeah. And well, I
0: have I have two more questions concerning the Flyers. Go ahead. What would you like to say to Seattle Kraken fans who are super excited about their team but don't
1: know about their head coach? That was the most befuddling hire. <laughs> I was absolutely shocked. He was so not liked here. Um. And him and Voracek hated each other. And when we were hoping that the Kraken would take Voracek, once they announced that Hackstall was the coach, we we're like, crap, they're not going to take Voracek. <laughs> I guarantee you Hackstall was like, there's no bleeping why I'm having that guy that cancer yeah. on my team." He wasn't a cancer in the flyers locker room. He just, they hated each other. Um The flyer, he was a horrible communicator. I think that was an awful hire. Now, maybe it it should have happened the way it happened. Maybe he should have been an assistant coach before he became a head coach. And essentially, he got that with Toronto. But I don't think you can change a person's personality. Yeah. I mean, maybe some of these coaches that I call the um, militaristic coaches, the La Violettes, the Hitchcocks, the Mike Keenans of the world that you can only have for a couple of years before they slash and burn the team. Mm-hmm. Maybe those modern day coaches with the millennium type, millennial type athletes, whatever, they kind of tone their attitudes down and all. But that's a fiery thing. Haxdall is just a non-communicator coach. So I would tell Kraken fans. I wasn't even – I was not I was kind of actually perplexed with a lot of their, their selections, to be honest with you. But, yeah, that, w- that was a horrible – with Rick Tockett sitting out there as a coach. Are you kidding me? Yeah. That, was, that was a terrible hire.
0: And especially for a first-year expansion team, you really don't want somebody who is not good at communicating what they want out of this franchise and trying to get all these players who – have may or may not i'm i'm referencing like grubauer especially like he was established um these aren't just nobodies and they're signing pretty big names like 10f he's been around the block a time or two yeah Jaden.
1: yeah um um uh Ever, everly yeah mm-hmm. players like that no Giardano, yeah yeah, yeah you, no, there's, there's talent obviously there's talent um and I, I don't think anyone foresaw vegas being as great as they were their first year yeah i was like magic but Great coach, great system, great goalie. Now Grubauer is a great goalie. All it takes is a goalie to get hot at the right time, and they can carry a team. Um, but your question was, did I like the hiring of Dave Hackstall? No. And and neither did any of the guests that we've interviewed on our show. They were all floored over that.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's. Uh, it was just one of those that. It just very – it fell flat for a team that was fire, firing on all cylinders with logos and jerseys and then
1: – Could you imagine Rick Tocchet being their coach? No, oh, man. Are that you – That's dude. I mean, he's oh. my all-time favorite Flyer, and he just got elected into the Flyers Hall of Fame with Paul Holmgren. So, and um, he's doing great on the TNT broadcasts. And I guarantee you if the Flyers get off to a slow start, Vigneault could be on the hot seat. And that's who I'd like to see the Flyers bring in.
0: And I, absolutely, oh, that would be a beautiful marriage right there. Oh, yep, I agree. And my last question concerning the Flyers:
1: What happened with Shane Goessens? He was a, the quintessential, defensive liability. Mm. He, was always at a position. He always took horrible angles to the puck. Like Visualize a guy coming down the boards, and you're like, why isn't he pinching? Why isn't he pinching? And the guy gets by him. He has such great feet and speed, but he took awful angles. Um, And he's not a hitter, so so you you just got to get in the way. Use your stick. He was just a defensive liability. Then they released him. No one picked him up, because I think they wanted to get his salary off the books, because of this damn hard cap we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And When he was unclaimed, he was right back in the lineup. And he played really good. Mm -hmm. I mean, his play was – I think he finally got the memo. I got to be more defensively responsible. But they needed his numbers off the books. And I believe they got a more mature version of him and Keith Yandel. Yeah. With a twinge more – now, Yandel's not going to fool anyone – For being a uh, stay-at-home defenseman by any means but i also through our shows you you know i don't want to mention names but through our shows you know you you've done countless shows you talk pre and post show with your guests that's when a lot of the meat comes out Mm -hmm. without without giving names many of our guests said he was despised by his teammates in the locker room interesting so that's another another reason why i don't mind seeing him go I don't like hearing stories that guys aren't well liked. I want great team chemistry with yeah. my, my club. So he was a defensive liability, but that being said, we always talked on our show. Let's say the flyers were a very, very good team um, pushing for a playoff spot where they had a solid playoff positioning, but their power play was lacking. They just needed that power, power play quarterback that you go after a guy like Shane got to spare. We mm-hmm. damned his defensive liabilities, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, you don't worry what he's not good at. You worry about what he is good at. So that was the only thing. I think they could have – If he, it, I think part of the reason they got rid of him, mostly with salary, then you find out that he wasn't really well-liked in the dressing room, then I'm okay with it. But I, I still – I do think they gave up on him a little bit too quickly because he is that dynamic offensively. So concentrate on what he's good at and limit what he's not – good at yeah the more the more
0: the more his skill started to plateau the more he looked like a prototypical like a perfect player for Nashville and how they orchestrate their team and where
1: they get their production and (laughs) no that's a great point Nashville always has great defensemen so Mm -hmm. you can hide some of his flaws with a great partner yeah and that's that's part of the reason that Provorov was a disaster last year. Listen There's no bigger pro overall fan than myself. Mm -hmm. And I've finally have come to peace with the fact he's not a Norris trophy candidate. Like I thought he would once turn out to be. He's just a very good defenseman. Maybe not even a number one defenseman, just a very damn good number two defenseman. And like a Shvechnikov type player but yeah but he's not a number one he's not a number one no no but pro we have ellis to make provarov's game better that was a great signing getting ellis but you know again i'm probably jumping the gun with some of maybe that was going to be on your list but guys like provarov need to step up their game for this team to i think sniff a wild card spot that's i think is the route they're going to go if at all
0: and see that that segues into what I was about was going to be my final question with you. Um, I knew the Gothic spare talk uh, would
1: segue here. What do you anticipate out of the flyers? It, it, it's it's a it's a, honestly I don't know kind of an answer because they they acquired Ryan Ellis, they acquired Rasmus Ristolainen, they acquired Cam Atkinson, they acquired Derek Brassard. Um, they just acquired, like I mentioned, two gritty players. Um, they acquired um, a lot of guys that have ties to Kevin Hayes, who lost his brother tragically. Mm-hmm. So I think this team is going to have an unbelievable bond and chemistry. Will that transcend to talent? I don't think so. I think the Metro Metropolitan Division is the toughest division in hockey. You know, you could argue the Atlantic. The Metro was not given any favors swapping Bru- the Bruins for Carolina. Mm-hmm. So I think you got slam dunks in Carolina and the Islanders to make the playoffs. And then you have to then say, who's number three. Well, you, you have the Capitals, you have a really good young talented team with my favorite goalie in hockey and Shesterkin with the Rangers who could knock on the door pretty hard. Look at the Penguins did last night. They didn't even have two of their top players. Yeah. I think the devils have a lot of great young talent and they made some nice transaction. The devils skated circles around the flyers last year. So I, I, the, my issue with the flyers is team speed and hands. Now a lot of the team speed happens with good outlet passes, quick outlet passes. Um, but team speed also means you have to rush your ass off the back check, mm-hmm. which they didn't do last year. My my cohorts on my show believe there'll be two of them said they would be one of the three teams. I think that was just rose colored glasses and um fandom. And I and two of us one of us said they will make it via wild card. And I'm just not I, I I'm I, I guess I'm the negative Nelly of my group. You asked me about Hart, I'm not sold on them. And I don't I, I don't see the Flyers making the playoffs with three teams from each division getting in and just two wild cards in the conference. You know, I, I plotted my little chart. I'm like, you know, if Toronto, if I don't have Toronto being a top three team in their division, they're probably going to be a wild card team, right? Yeah. And if I don't have the Rangers being a top three team in our division, they're probably going to be a wild card team, right? Yeah. So where's that leave the flyers? And if this
0: is one of those that you start out the gate very slowly, um, the pieces of this team, are they constructed in a way that you can make a a big move at the deadline to make a push? Or do you cut your losses and say, okay, this is how it is this year. We'll address this in the off season.
1: That, that's a good question. A lot of it is contingent on Giroux is in the last year of his contract. He's a lame duck. He's a lame duck legend as it were. Will he, and with a no trade, if they are floundering, would he be willing to waive his no trade to go to a contender and help build this team? Or is he just going to be one of those guys that is loyal to the franchise and just wants to retire a flyer? Uh, Yandle's on a one-year deal. He's the kind of guy you could flip at the trade deadline for a team that wants a puck-moving defenseman on the power play. Um they just signed Couturier to a long-year deal, so I don't see him going anywhere. We initially were talking about him before his contract. Imagine the pieces you can get back for a guy like that, but he's also the kind of guy you have to build your team around. Um, yeah, so if they, if they come out really flat, I think the first thing that's going to happen is the coach is going to get fired and the entire staff. Yeah. And if that shakeup doesn't help, then yeah, then, then heads will roll. And, and you might even see a Provorov get moved. Hmm. I mean, they don't have – I mean, Joel Faraby is our only guy that we can speculate that might sniff 40 goals. And if mm-hmm. you had to say name fly, uh, name a couple flyers that will score 30 goals, Farby's the only slam dunk, in my opinion, there. I shouldn't have even said it's 40 goals. I think he's the one candidate that will sniff 30 goals. Couturier hovers around 30 goals. Konechny has the ability, but he had a bad year last year. Atkinson has the ability, but I, I think he'll be more of a rah-rah guy. And I don't think he's going to be a 30. I think he'll score like 22 to 25 goals, but we don't have true sniper still. So I don't know. I, I just, I, I sound like a very negative guy and I'm, I guess, I guess I'm a realist, not an, I like to consider myself a realist, not a negative guy. And, and, and I don't want flyer fans that are listening to this go, Oh my God, how can he be talking like that? I, you don't have to see, you don't have to be a fan and lie to yourself. I just see what I see and I call it the way I see it. I'm I'm completely agree with you
0: there. And like you were listening, like uh, those averages, that's about 60 goals out of those top talent. This is, we're going back to the 80, 82 games. Uh, That's not enough. Yeah, no, that's not enough. So um, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see what Philly does this year and what everything, everything going around uh, the flyers going forward. So before we let you out of here, Dan, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I have loved this conversation. It's nice to
1: get to talk to a uh, a level-headed Flyers fan. That's that's very refreshing. Well, no, it, it, it was an honor, and, I, and like like I told you um, in a few texts that I listened to, you know, your show, and I was like, wow, this will be fun because I really enjoyed your show with the um, Blackhawk. Yes fan from, from from or at least I don't know if that was your last show, but that's the one I listened to.
0: Yes, that was uh Mario Terabasi. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That,
1: a, he was a good guest.
0: He was a he's a very cool guy. And uh like to thank you for coming on. And for everybody who will be doing what you did for Mario and listening to that episode, everyone listening to you, how can they go find you
1: and get more flyers action? Well I work for an amazing network called the Heat Ratio Sports Network. So I really encourage everyone to find heat ratio sports on YouTube, subscribe, tap that bell, and tap that bell flyer and ice will pop up on your phone or your laptop. When we're ready to air. Um, we're targeting Tuesdays, um, probably late afternoon. Um, heat ratio sport also has a phenomenal basketball show called half court heat, which will be starting soon. We have, we have plenty of shows, but those are, you know, flyer and ice and half court heat and the actual heat ratio show by our founder, Tony Cotillo, who is the best in the business. If you, don't, if you haven't seen Tony Cotillo, you got to watch him. The guy should be on Sports Talk Radio. He's that good. But again, we're with He Ratio Sports. We're Flyer and Ice. We're on all platforms. Um, any podcasting platform out there, we are on. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. And I appreciate you giving me the chance to mention that. And again, this was an awesome experience for me
0: oh absolutely and when this episode drops um all of your socials will be tagged in the post so if you like what you hear click the links and follow and say hey heard you on puckberg i'm flyers fan i glad to be here and hey if this is your first time stopping by here in puckberg um, we also have a twitter that's a uh, h puckberg on twitter um here underscore n underscore puckberg on instagram we have a facebook you can uh, check out our merch store. All the links are in the bios, and uh, you can also check us out over on Belly Up Network Hockey. And also uh, on October thirtieth, you can check here in Puckburg and the Lamp combining for the Puck Lighters broadcast on the Colorcast app. Uh, stay tuned to the socials, and uh, you can vote on which game we will do broadcast for. So keep an eye out for that so uh for me myself dan again thank you so much for coming on and hey once you're a resident here in Puckburg, you come back anytime so no i appreciate it and And, uh uh, invite for my show hey i like it i dig it and everybody thank you for stopping by here in Puckburg. and we will see you again real soon